This morning I want to talk about crossing the Jordan. And uh, I probably preached 20 messages out of Joshua, but never gets old. You can always get some new stuff out of it. And so I want you to turn to Joshua chapter 1. I really feel like this morning God's going to release grace to cross the Jordan, so to speak. I, um, I feel like there's, like I said, there's just, there's just going to be grace, and we're going to get into what that, what that means. Now, Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it says, Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving them, to the sons of Israel. And so, here's Joshua. And, uh, you know, imagine, you know, if we try to put it in today's terms, imagine you were uh, Billy Graham's right-hand man. And... Billy Graham saw millions of people saved across the world. And Billy, you know, there comes a day where, and it's maybe a little bit more unexpected than you thought it was going to be. Maybe you thought you had about 10 more years of being with Billy before he handed things off of you. And then, like, you wake up one and Billy's like, hey, I'm done. You go do it. And you're like, wait, I'm not ready. This is kind of where Joshua was at. And... And so I love the Lord. I, he doesn't, you know, um, John Arnott said, God just sees death differently than we do. And in verse 1, he says, or verse 2, he says, Moses, my servant, is dead. It's pretty like just, hey, he's dead. But, but because I think it's because the Lord, Moses is there with, with the Lord, you know, he's like, he's, he's not, it, it's like the Lord saying, listen, he's not with you. But he's here. You know what I'm saying? It's just not, he just sees it differently. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I'm giving them to the sons of Israel. And so this was the promise that, that God gave the people of Israel in the desert, that, hey, I've got a promised land for you. It's filled with milk and honey. The fruit, the grape clusters are as big as a man's body. You know, like they're carrying these grape clusters on a, on a pole, and it's, I mean, it's probably not the size of a man, but imagine like a grape cluster half the size of my body. They're like hanging on a pole. I mean, that's what the land looked like, except there were giants in the land. And you had Caleb and Joshua said, that's our land, let's go get it. And then you had the 10 other spies that were sent out with them saying, there's giants. Let's just keep living in the desert or go back to Egypt, you know. And so this is the situation we're in. And uh, they're, they're told to cross the Jordan. Now, I think this is significant where it says they cross the Jordan. When it says cross the Jordan, crossing the Jordan represents undergoing a baptism of death. In Mark chapter 1, it says John the Baptist was baptizing people in the Jordan. It says he, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, going down in, in baptism, what does that represent when you go under the water? It means you're, you're identifying with Jesus' death. 
the old Travis has passed away. You come up out of the water. The new Travis has come. And just insert your name in there. And so when John the Baptist was baptizing people for the, it says, for the, uh, the baptism of repentance, for the forgiveness of sins. And so it's a baptism of death. The old, the old man is dying. The new man's coming. So Jesus, he was baptized by John not for the forgiveness of sins, but as a foreshadowing of, his, of the death he was to undergo. Mark chapter 1 verse 9 said, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And then after this, Jesus began baptizing people himself. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he was spending time with them, baptizing. Now, going back to Joshua chapter 1, it says they're going to cross the Jordan into which land? The promised land. And so one of the things I, one of the points I want to make this morning is that there is a Jordan attached to every promise of your life. Translation, there's a death attached with every promise of your life. (laughs) And so, because only God can attain the promises of God, if that makes sense. Like, do you understand that we worship God because he gives us, he, he loves us first. So we love God because he first loves us. We worship God because he first pursued us. So, the things of God are impossible to obtain by our, our flesh, by our own strength. And so it takes God to actually obtain the promises of God. Does that make sense? And so it takes a death to our flesh, to the old man that's being, it says our old man's fading, but our new man is re- being renewed day by day, every day. Your new man's shining brighter and brighter because the old is fading away and the new is manifesting because you're becoming more like Jesus every day. Somebody say amen. And so this is the baptism of death. John the Baptist and Jesus baptized people in the Jordan upon entering the kingdom of heaven through repentance. And in Joshua, the Israelites were crossing the Jordan out of the desert, which represented death and into the promised land, which represented life. So the promised land is the kingdom of heaven. This is just an analogy to look at it. In Hebrews, it says that the Old Testament was a type and shadow of the things to come. And so even the temple, Passover, the desert, the promised land, all of these things are foreshadowing types and shadows of New Testament promises. Okay, so the desert... You can look at the desert in one way it represents death and the promised land is represents life. And the thing about the Bible is things can have multiple meanings. There's layers and layers to the word of God. That's why you can, maybe you've read the Bible 50 times through already. You, the 51st time you see something that you've never seen before because it's living and active. It's, 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 it's God. Like there's no end to the depth of it, right? It's his word. And so there's the, there's the promised land, and you, and you undergo a baptism of death. You cross your Jordan, and then there's giants in the land. Squatting is what I call it. Anybody ever do beach lifeguarding? 
Raise your hand. Anybody? Is it just me, Hilton Head? Just me. So I used to lifeguard at Hilton, Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. Really rough summer job. And, but uh, actually, we, in all honesty, we did work pretty hard. We were out there 50, uh, 60 hours a week. Um, and we have to. And so I was in front of this big hotel called the Crown Plaza at the time. Now it's called the Senesta if you go to Hilton Head now. But so we would set up, you know, the umbrellas and chairs that the resorts have. That was part of our job. We, we watched the water, and we would also rent out these umbrellas and chairs. And so we're, we would set up up to 100 sets. We had a really big stand. Me and my partner set up 100 sets. And uh, you would have people that we called squatters because you've got – 50 yards that way, you've got umbrellas and chairs. 50 yards that way, you've got umbrellas and chairs. And uh, you just see, you kind of see people sitting down, and then you look, and it's like, all right, they're in number 32. Um, that one's rented out. Is that the person that rented it out? You know, do we remember? So we'd, we'd have to walk the chairs just to make sure people weren't coming out there and, like, sitting in chairs that they had not rented. And so, we, and so when people were sitting in the chairs and they had not rented them out, they were called squatters. And so I call the devil a squatter because he's squatting on ground. He's squatting on land he didn't pay for. He's squatting on property he didn't pay for. You've been, he's, he's trying to squat on our hearts <laughs> what Jesus purchased. We've been bought by the blood of Jesus. And Paul, um, what does Paul say? He says, don't you know you've been bought with a price? The devil didn't pay that price for you. Jesus did. And so these giants, are, God's given the Israelites this land, and these giants just don't know it yet. And so, um, so you have these giants there. So we undergo, so there's, there's two types of battles. One, the first one that you have to overcome is the old man battle that has to die. You have to undergo death to the flesh. And then there's a battle against the enemy. The giants represent the devil. It doesn't represent your flesh. It's the devil that's trying to intimidate you. He's trying to squat on your property. Now, Graham Cook says the devil's biggest budget item is intimidation. So the devil has a budget. God doesn't. The devil has finite resources. He gets exhausted. He gets discouraged. Did you know the devil doesn't have patience? So why does the Bible tell us to be steadfast and patient? Because you can wear the devil out. So his resources are finite. He's got a budget. And he's got a budget line item. And his biggest line item budget expense is intimidation. Fear. He's trying to keep, because if he can just convince you not to try anything, to not take a risk, to, to not live in faith, then he's won. He can just, it's, he has to be resourceful. So he's trying to cut the head off of your life in, in God. Because he can't be everywhere at once. He's not all powerful. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipresent. He's not God. Now, apart from God. You know, David said, my enemies are too powerful for me. So you don't, 
We have to abide in the Lord to overcome the enemy. When you try to go out, Lone Ranger, in your own flesh, the devil's going to whip you because what happened in Acts with those guys that didn't know the Lord and they tried to cast out the devil. He says, I know Paul and I know Jesus, or, and I know, who, who else was it? He said, I know Paul. Somebody help me. Anybody remember this? Anyways, he said, I know Paul, the, this demon-possessed man <laughs> saying this, and the demon's talking to these guys that were trying to cast out the demons that didn't know the Lord. He said, I know Paul, but who are you? And he says he beat him up and stripped him butt naked. And then Paul would come up there and he would, Simon the sorcerer, who was making money off demonic help, cast that demon out. The, the apostles cast demons out. Jesus cast demons out. And so, you, you have to know the Lord because only, only the Lord gives us that power. And so to enter the, to the kingdom of heaven that takes God, that's why we have to die before we enter into the promised land. Second Corinthians chapter 4 says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. Now, if we're always carrying about the, in our body the dying of Jesus, if that's a one-time event, dying, what is Paul talking about here? He's talking about the dying of the flesh so that the life of Jesus may also be, manif be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So this should be the goal of every Christian, for the life of Jesus to be manifested in our mortal body. And so our mortal flesh, so this body... that we have is, like I, I said earlier, is fading. That's why um, I can't run quite as fast as I used to. I got some gray hairs, the pigments leaving. And so the body's fading and that's why we're gonna have a new glorified body that doesn't fade or wear out, right? And so this body is attached to that old man, that sin nature that we were born into. When we're resurrected, we'll have that glorified immortal body just as Jesus displayed to the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration. And so this 2 Corinthians 4 verse is talking about adversity. And what does adversity do for us? You know, Jesus never promised that we wouldn't have adversity. He just said, when you have trouble, <laughs> I will be with you. In the world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Because adversity is one of those things that God likes to use to make us more like Jesus, to conform us to his image. Oswald Chambers, he says, the only thing that will enable me to enjoy adversity is the acute sense of eagerness of allowing the life of the Son of God to evidence itself in me. <laughs> so, the, it can be 
the little things in life, the irritations, the annoyances, the, the little anxieties, the, the pressures, the tensions, all of these things. I know for me, coaching soccer makes me more like Jesus. I'm, that's, the, that's the truth of my hand up, as my uncle used to say. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's U12 soccer, rec league. You know what I'm saying? Like, and so part of it is because, you know, I, my personality, I like being prepared. I like knowing what I'm doing. I don't know, what, I don't know how to coach. I didn't play soccer. I don't know what I'm doing. That's why I asked Sam to help me the very first season I ever coached Lydia. And I said, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. What do we do here? And, and, and so I don't like that. How many of y'all like doing something you don't know how to do? Right. And so, and so, and, and so, and then I'm also, I'm very competitive. And I've asked, and so I think there's redemptive qualities about competitiveness, but there is a line. And I see dads cross the line all the time. And I'm like, Lord. That doesn't look like Jesus. You know, so I was like, I don't want to do that. And you can, I'm saying, there's, it's not like you can't hang out on the fence. You, you either flip the switch or you go, I've seen dads just like, mm-hmm, yeah. and then they're like, no, that's not, just get over here. You can't, and so I'm like, Lord, don't let me get over that line. I go before every game, I'm like, Holy Spirit, you have to help me. I'm, I'm, this, I'm, it's the truth. Jessica, she's, she can tell you. Two hours before the game, I'm like this. She's like, are you doing all right? I'm like, I'm good. There's no joke. I usually like to joke, and there's no joking a couple hours before. And it's not because I don't want to have fun. I'm just like, I'm nervous. And it happens every game. I'm just like, Lord, this is a very slow death. And so... Uh, But Oswald helped me change my mind on this. It's like, I need to look forward to this. This, this is an opportunity to become more like Jesus. This is dealing death blows daily. I've looked in the mirror and said, last season coaching soccer. I'm not doing it again. I'm not doing it. I'm just talking to myself. This is regular, I'm telling you, this is pushing the button on me. And so, but that's, but that's the thing. That's where, those are the things that we don't think are the big deals, but it's, it's, the, it's the tensions, it's the anxieties, it's the little annoyances, it's the irritations. Those are the things that daily you can die to. And then, of course, you have your, your stuff that's, the rejections, the persecutions, those types of things that, that are going to deal with the death blow too. But, but all of these things are working together for our good, right? And you know Romans 8.28, which is what I just quoted, God works all things together for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. And then verse 29 is that we may be conformed to the image of his son. So, it's all about becoming more like Jesus. And Oswald gives us a good way to look at these, these opportunities. Like, this is a great opportunity to become like Jesus and to anticipate doing, being like that. 
So out of Joshua, the Lord also wants us to know that every place on which the sole of our foot treads, we've, he's given it to us, just as he spoke to Moses. We carry the kingdom. We carry the kingdom. There was a, um, the littlest things in the kingdom, Mother Teresa said the, little, the smallest act of kindness echoes in eternity. The smallest act of love echoes in eternity. So your smile, your hey, how are you doing? Your your prayer for somebody, you praying for healing, all of the things. Maybe and maybe you didn't even uh, you prayed for somebody that didn't get healed and they or you for healing and they didn't get healed. But I heard a testimony from uh, Yaquin from Bethel. What was his? You remember? He was uh, he planted a church in, out in Austin, out of Bethel. But he Joaquin, yeah. Um, but he had prayed for somebody, and they didn't get healed. And the lady was blessed because she said, you actually believe what you're saying. <laughs> and that impacted her. And she, I think she came to church the next day because she was like, you actually believe what you're saying. And, and so uh, a few weeks ago, I was at work, and one of my coworkers' clients had, was recovering from ACL surgery, but she was limping around and still had some pain in her knee. And I just said, hey, can I pray for you? Um, asked her, you know, how's your pain, all that, and, and prayed for her knee. Nothing really happened. But uh, my coworker comes up to me a few days after that, and he says, hey, you know, um, I'm going to call her Becky. Hey, you know, Becky she said she kind of recognized you and, and she recognized you because you were at LRG like maybe two years ago with Jessica and she was the bartender and you gave her a word and that word really impacted her and then he and she's and this woman's having a tough time personally right now and and uh said so brought it back to where I, I prayed for her again and and it was just like the Lord just like using me. I have no idea what's going on. But I'm a reminder of the time that she encountered the Lord. And then like the Lord's in this tough time is reminding her, I'm here. Like I want you to come to me, you know. And so, and all I did was just, I gave her, I can't, you know, remember the word. And she was just like, oh, that's sweet. Thank you. You know, you don't know what's going on. You don't know how it's affecting somebody. I prayed for her. For her knee, the pain didn't leave, but still, God's using it. I can't heal anybody's knee anyways, and so I'm just trying to obey the Lord. So you carry the kingdom, and that's what I'm talking about. The kingdom starts off like what? A mustard seed, like a speck of leaven. That's the kingdom, and the Lord causes it to grow. So you just take your mustard seed, you take your, your speck of leaven, and let it start infecting things. God's assigned us neighborhoods, nations, cities, schools, and industries to bring his kingdom into. God is with us. Verse 5 says, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. What a promise. Just as I've been with Moses, I will be with you. What, an, what, another, pro, what another promise. Good, good grammar, Travis. And so... Uh, I will not fail you or forsake you. So think about this. 
What did God do with Moses? Ten plagues, part the Red Sea. I'm, I just imagine Joshua just being like this. Like, I mean, he's just doing this the whole time. Like, he's just stunned. Moses is gone. You're going to do all that through me too? I'm going to lead these people into the promised land? Now, one of the things that was the key for Joshua was that he was a man of God's presence. Moses would enter into the tabernacle, and the glory cloud would literally descend upon the tabernacle. Moses is in there, and he walks out. His face is glowing. All the people were like, ah, you know, and, and so, but what, did, what would Joshua do? He didn't run. He's like, I want some of that. And he says he would, he would stay by the door of the tabernacle just trying to get whatever he could. He didn't care if it was residue. He didn't care if it was leftovers. He was so hungry for God that he was willing to stay behind, and he was not afraid of uh, getting some of the glory of the Lord like Moses. And so that was part of what um, qualified him. Was the only qualification was that he was hungry for God. That was the only thing that qualified him. So think of like some of your heroes of the faith. You know, for me, aside from Jesus, obviously, you have, for me, it's David Hogan, John Sanford of Elijah House, Bill Johnson, Graham Cook. And you think about what God's done through these men, and, and, and the Lord's saying to us, just as I was with them, and I am with them, I'm with you. Just as I was with Moses. Travis, I'm with you. So you can insert your name in there in verse 5. Just as I've been with Moses, I will be with you, Tommy. I will be with you, Chris. So God will accompany us with his presence, signs, and wonders. Also this past week, I had the, the Lord told me, he said, Travis, I really want you to start asking Holy Spirit for more help. Now, I've been asking him for the soccer games. The Lord's even, he's like, that's, and he said, that's his job. He's, I gave him to you to help you. He's the helper. He's the come alongside. You need a buddy. Now, I don't want to reduce the Holy Spirit's down roll to that, but you want somebody, come up here, babe. You see, Jessica's all by herself. She feels like she's fighting this battle alone. I represent the Holy Spirit. Actually, maybe I should stand there and you represent the Holy Spirit because that's the way it is in our marriage. But anyways, and so, so Jessica, she's like, she feels like she's battling this alone. The Holy Spirit just comes up right here and says, hey, we got this. All right, let's go. Now just keep walking with me. I want to help you, okay? And so he's that, that's what that word paraclete means, to come alongside, help her. In the Roman war sense, it means the guy who's got your back. They would fight. When you're, you're on the battlefield, what they would do was they would partner up. All right, babe, come on. And so they're, if they're surrounded and outnumbered, they go back to back right here. So nobody can get them from the backside. And they're fighting. They got their shields. And they would move in sync with one another right here. You're amazing. I love you. Let's hang out later. <laughs> and so the Holy Spirit 
It's his job to help us. It's ask him to help you. It's, it's real simple to say, Holy Spirit, help me. <laughs> help me. So we have, uh, there's a part of the kingdom of God that's the undiscovered country is a way to put it. It's verse 6 here. It says, be strong and courageous for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. This is another scripture, just side note, of that we, we need to think multi-generational. There may be some words that God's given me in my life that my children actually walk in. Because how, did, how was David described? The son of Jesse. How was Joshua described? The son of Nun. God just thinks generationally. He says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. That's how he describes himself. I'm the God of the generations. He is so much more corporately minded than we are. We're, very, we're the West, very individualistic. I'm isolated, loner, pull myself up by my bootstraps. And you go, a lot of the East and, uh, you know, African cultures and South American cultures are much more corporate, community minded than we are. So this is the undiscovered country, the lost inheritance that lays behind the veil of inconvenience and fear. And it is a veil. It's, it's just one of those things. That it looks, it's like a, imagine somebody painting a picture of this like big scary monster, but it's like a curtain. And you just have to like walk through the veil. That's kind of like what the giants are doing because they're trying to intimidate. It's the devil's biggest budget item. So our inheritance is the kingdom of heaven, which is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. All of the righteousness, peace, and joy, I was like, Lord, isn't the kingdom of heaven more than that? But when you think about it, if you have righteousness, peace, and joy, no circumstance can touch you. You could be destitute, but if you're full of peace and joy, you don't give three hoots about that. If you're full of righteousness, like God's, the blessing of God is going to come upon you. Like he's, and so like the joy, you'll have strength no matter what your circumstance because you've got joy. You won't be anxious because you have peace. So those three things are all you need to prosper. It doesn't, and, and the circumstances are, uh, don't apply. It doesn't matter. And Jesus' his inheritance is souls. It's the one that he's purchased with his blood. David says we are his people, his portion. We are his portion. That's what Jesus came for. Because he already has righteousness, peace, and joy, right? So what, so what is his inheritance? <laughs> It's the children that he wants to come back home. That's his inheritance. The Lord's giving us, he's given us land where fear has ruled. So from the wilderness and this Lebanon, this is verse 4 going back up, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun will be your territory. This word Hittites means fear and terror. So what the Lord is saying, I'm giving you the land of fear and terror. 
I'm giving you land where fear and terror has reigned. What are some of the areas in the world where fear and terror has reigned? Maybe it's a, uh, a neighborhood. Maybe it's an industry. Maybe it's the, uh, the, the sex trafficking industry. Maybe it's the um, other areas of business where it seems impossible to use kingdom principles. Have you ever, I've heard people say this, like, man, you just, it's just impossible to like, do business that way, where you, it's so cutthroat that the, the only way you, to get a leg up is to try to trick somebody. What if you go in there, and that's fear and terror, right? That's like manipulation, fear, terror. What if somebody goes in there and says, I'm going to do it the Chick-fil-A way. No, I'm just, and it's a, I'm going to do it God's way. But Chick-fil-A is a great example. They're like, hey, we're going we're gonna to serve first and see where that takes us, and it's done well for them. And he tells us, be strong and courageous. Only be, very, only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it from the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and you will have success. So being strong and courageous is our willful choice to follow Jesus, to obey him in the small and big things. And being strong and courageous is uh, so much of courage is just doing something in spite of fear. <laughs> just imagine, you know, you're, you're, <laughs> you're, you're about to do something, but in just this, these voices, you can't do it, you can't do it. And, and so, you're, and you're just walking to this destination that God's called you to, and all these voices of fear and intimidation, you're going to fail, you're going to die, or whatever it is, yelling at you. And all it is is you simply ignoring those voices and continuing on in what God has done. And a good way to know if the voice is uh, the Lord or the devil is, uh, if it's a condemning voice, that's not the Lord. If it's a negative voice, uh, which, which is, brings that shame and condemnation with it, it's typically not the Lord. It's not, it's not the Lord. And typically the loudest voice is not the Lord. The Lord is the still small voice, right? And so if, it's loud, if there's a real loud voice, you, you need to go get still and just wait on the Lord, and he'll, he'll show you the way you need to walk. When we meditate on God's word, it helps us stave off fear and the lies that sabotage our identity and destiny. So you have to know the word to actually know what God's promised you. Do not be dismayed. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. So he's encouraging us again to be strong and courageous. This is another great thing to ask Holy Spirit for help with. Help, Holy Spirit, help me be strong and courageous. Help me have a courageous spirit. Help me be bold. And it's, I like confessing. I was like, Lord, I don't, I, don't, I don't have any courage 
I don't have any boldness in and of myself, but, but you live in me. You're here. Give me what you have. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So you wake up in the middle of the night, you got a crying baby. You, how many of y'all have woken up in the middle of the night and you feel like Holy Spirit sleeping because you're totally in your flesh? I've done that where I've just, I'm like, Holy Spirit, what? I need you, right? It, but I just, you know, I, I would wake up and one of our kids would be crying. And when Zuri was little, like crib age, if she woke up, she was going to be up for the next two or three hours. And so one time Lydia was crying. I was like, please, please be quiet. Please be quiet. Shh, shh. And she's, she had a night to her. And she did what she was like. She was like half asleep. And she's just like, ah, ah, ah. And how many of y'all been to our house? It's not very big. And so uh, I was like, please, honey, don't wake up. And then I was like, be quiet, be quiet. And, 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 she's just, and she went like this. And Jessica's like, Travis, get out of here. And I just went back into my bed. Forgive me. And I fell asleep as I'm repenting. And so you have to have, like, you, you need the Lord's help. You need the Lord's help. And it's just uh, I, don't have, I don't have anything. You know, Jesus, what did he say about the flesh? He said, the flesh profits nothing. <laughs> the flesh profits nothing. This word dismayed says, do not tremble or be dismayed. It means to break down the courage of, to surprise in such a manner as to disillusion. The devil really wants to disillusion you. Is it worth it? Are you making an impact? Is this working? Man, I thought you'd be further along than you are right now. He tries to disillusion you. To alarm, to perturb. And I want to, one thing I want to say about Jesus, when he was baptized in the Jordan, the dove came, the Holy Spirit came in the form of a dove, lighted upon him. The Father spoke the words of affirmation over him, you are my son in whom I'm well pleased. Had Jesus, was there any recorded miracle up to that point? What had Jesus done other than just be a son? We don't have anything recorded. He taught in the temple. That was the one thing we knew. But he was actually, you know, his parent, making his parents worried. So I want you to know that the Lord, is, it's the same thing for us. Your worth is not what you can do for God because he could snap his fingers and do all this by himself. But he wants somebody to co-labor with. God enjoys your company. So he's just inviting you in on what he's already doing. Your, your uh, approval is not dependent upon what you, what you do for God because you don't really have anything to offer. It's just like when our kids are little and they're like, Daddy, I want, I want to help you build this, this shed. How many of you parents know it's more work to let your kid help you? Then they're actually helping. And like, yeah, let's come on, let's do this. 
and you spend 30 minutes making sure they don't smash their finger with the hammer. But that's the way the Lord is like, sometimes we go up to the Lord and be like, I help you, Daddy. I help you. And he says, sure. Come on. And he's just letting us be a part of what he's doing. But he's doing the work. And so this is the way Jesus operated. He said, I don't do anything apart from my father. I only do what I see my father doing. He knew he was the beloved before he ever did anything. And that's the place that we have to operate from. And so you have, you, coming back to this word, this made, it, it, it means to be, he's, God's saying, don't be disillusioned. Don't be suddenly alarmed or, or perturbed. Don't let your courage break down. And then this word tremble means to dread, to fear, to be terrified, to be in awe of. He says, don't be terrified, don't be in awe. And when I, when I read this, when I looked up that word tremble, I had this thought that when we tremble at the devil, we're giving him reverence and awe reserved and deserved for God only. Because that word, do not tremble, means to do, like, I, that thought, like, kind of sickens me. I do that with the devil. But, there, I mean, I've definitely done that before. But the Lord's saying, don't, don't do that. The, the great thing about the Lord is he understands us. <laughs> he understands, like, just like, um, you know, I used to think E.T. was my era. And I thought E.T. was in my closet. And I had the, the I shared a bed with my brother, and my, my side of the bed was the closest one in the closet. And I just, I just, I would lay on my side and stare at the closet. E.T.'s in there. That closet is about to glow any second right now. And so I went into my parents' room. I said, E.T.'s in my closet. I said, my, my dad said, boy, E.T. ain't in your closet. And, uh, and, he, and it, you know, it helped me. I got through the night because I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to. Uh, maybe he's not in there. You know, it kind of like removed a little bit of my doubt, but but that's what the, you know, when we, the Lord understands us, he said, sometimes we think there's a monster in the closet and the Lord's like, there's not a monster in the closet. He's not like, are you kidding me? I can't believe you believe that. But he, he understands. He's like, well, you know what? Maybe there's a monster in the closet, but you're so much more powerful. You just tell that monster to leave. That's how he empowers us. He's like, you just tell that monster. I've done that with my kids. I was like, well, if you do see something, just tell it to leave. It's got to go. And, that's, and, and the Lord does that with us. But when we tremble at the devil, we're giving him reverence and all deserved, reserved and deserved only for the Lord. If you make things rhyme, it's more anointed. Just let y'all know. And then the question I want you to leave you with is, what would you do if you're a 10 times bolder? What would you be doing if you're a 10 times bolder? Would you be launching a business? Would you be sharing the gospel more? That's your Jordan. That's your Jordan. 
that you got across because the promises of God, the things that he wants to give you, your inheritance is on the other side of that. 